As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome along to the Short Ball. It's the 9th of August here in Inlid in New Zealand. And Super Rugby Mills Moliaina is done. It's done. Who would have thought the Crusaders won that game? Who would have thought? I'll tell you what else is done. Your casual attire. No, I am casual. I'm wearing Do we get the memo? Dress up to come here? Producer Alice is dressed up. You're the only one in a t-shirt. Producer Alice has put some thought into her ensemble today. She's matched her jacket and her blouse with her shoes. Nice. What have you done? Put on a t-shirt. And that's a freebie anyway. (laughs) From Uncle Wax. (laughs) I bought this. You did not buy it. You've never bought a single thing from Uncle Wax. I have bought bought numerous things from Uncle Wax. You've still got an Adidas cap from your All Black days. No, that's that's free. Adidas look after skills of mills. (laughs) <laughs> what are you going to... That's a free jacket. and a sh- I'm wearing double you're, denim. You're looking, I'm ostensibly wearing double denim and a and a blazer. You're looking good, bro. Thanks, mate. Jeez. I appreciate it. It's not about me, though. It's about the Crusaders. That was yeah, my Crusaders, point. Sorry. Yeah, they won. Me. Oh. The is Lions, Lions did bring a bit of heat, though, didn't they? The Lions brought some heat, but is it... Okay. I love the fact they won. They were the best team in the competition. They deserve the title. There's been a lot written about the Crusaders and about the fact that this Crusaders team wasn't as good as other Crusaders team. I would dismiss that out of hand because this Crusaders organisation is the equal of any successful Crusaders organisation in the past. I think you've got to look wider than the 23 blokes who took the field or the 37 blokes in the squad yeah. or the others who were brought in to augment the team this year and look around their organisation. Hamish Riak has been the CEO of that organisation for 17 years. Wow. Think of the success that he has led in that team over those years. Only once in his tenure has that team failed to make a semi-final. Only once. And how many titles have come with it? Five under his watch, I think. Six, seven, eight. I've lost count. It's an incredible organisation to be a part of. Ali Williams wrote a great column on Rugby Pass this week about his personal experiences with that team in 2008. <laughs> but, you know, probably changed him for the better. Oh, I think it would have, definitely. He's a turncoat too. <laughs> Why? Why? Oh, mate, he's, he's, he's harping on about the Blues Illumini and things like that. And as soon as we get down to Christchurch, he hops off that plane and, oh, Crusaders, I'm a Crusader. <laughs> He can do that. He's been there. Well, I can understand that, but it was sickening. Um, <laughs> yeah, Hamish, is, we often talk about um, organisations where things haven't gone quite quite well. I mean, we're yeah. talking about the Blues, but you, you do. I mean, when you, man, you, you rumble that off and 
that just sort of um, you know reeks success, doesn't it? When you when you go through things like that. And one thing that does come to mind, and I sort of asked in the in the weekend, and it may seem like a small thing, but it, it actually isn't. This is when you know not only the team but the organisation, um, the marketing team, everything else are all on the on the same page. And I asked in the weekend, why does the Crusaders come out first? Because that's not tradition, you know. Right. Um, why? Do oh, they in terms of running out onto running the field. out onto the field. Yeah. But what they'd sort of established, the, the marketing team was, was the fact that, you know, you want to keep the crowd hyped. Um, you know, often what happens is, you know, the away team comes out after the horses. You know, the horses, they, they're gearing themselves up, blah, blah, you know, the crusade. Then the away team comes out and then the crowd sort of flattens out a bit. And then after that, it's hard to get them back up. So they thought, because the horses have just finished and everyone's sort of pumped, you know, bring them out. Bring the, bring the guys out first so then, you know, they're all involved. And then by the time the home team comes out, well... Hopefully by then they'll be like, ah, see you later. Boo! Just raining boos on them. Yeah, exactly. But the thing is, it doesn't seem like much, but it is because you've got to get buy-in. Um, first of all, you've got to come up with that the idea. Then you've got to get buy-in from the players. And I've been in teams where... What, what are you, what, what, what's producer Ellis? What are you doing? Are you on the phone? Nah, yeah, I was just taking a call. Sorry sorry about that, guys. Carry on, Melzy. Uh, yeah, you've it, lost it, your train it, of thought. I, I have. No, no, I'm back there. But what it takes is the buy-in, the buy-in from players. I've been in teams where if something like that, and not I'm not talking any particular teams, but if something like that came up from the marketing or upstairs, I'd be going, mate, it's just why? Why, why we mean that? You mean there would be some resistance? Oh, there would be massive resistance. Mm. And so, I mean, that's just one little little example. So you can imagine, you know, how aligned this whole organisation Right from the, I mean, when you talk about it, right from the, the top all the way through to the guys on the field. And when you're a, a rugby player and you know that you're backing the people that are doing all these things and you're aligned and they will go, um, you know, to, to basically to war with you, mm. regardless of whether you're <clears throat> successful on the field or not. Does, isn't that comforting yeah. as an organisation? Well, and, and, you know, I remember we did a short ball episode last year with Scott Robertson in his first year coaching this team. And his philosophy was pretty much. Turn up to work and be happy to be there. Yeah. And don't whinge to anyone lower than you on the pecking order. Yeah, you see, yeah, the whinge up philosophy. And it's organisation wide. And I'm glad you said that. that. That alignment has been what has been so crucial to their consistency over the years. And not just alignment, Millsy, because I agree with all of the things you said. And I know there's been a lot said and written about the Crusaders and, and there might be some people who are, who are rather jaded about talking about this organisation. <laughs> and, and I hope they don't get jaded because yeah. this is a blueprint for success. Oh. Regardless of your allegiance to any other franchise, to any other club, if you are not looking at that organisation and trying to learn from them, then you're doing it wrong yeah. because the alignment is everywhere. And, and I was just writing about that final for Rugby Pass this week and this, this concept of the subjugation of the individual goal for the betterment of the team. Yes, everyone in that team has aspirations to become an all-black or to further their career or earn more money and they've all got things that they want to achieve yeah. in life. But with the Crusaders, and, and I'm sure it's the same and other teams try to make this the same, it's not about what you can do for yourself. It's about what you can do for the team on the way to achieving your personal goals. And that is what they've got so right. It's not saying you can't be an individual. No. And I think we need to make the distinction because they thrive on their differences. <laughs> but what they're saying is that everyone brings something different. Yeah. And what is it that you're going to bring that is going to help the team? Yeah. That is the crucial element. Yeah. And even after that game, Scott Robertson is standing there. White Crockett's plunged the sword into the turf, 
Sam Whitelock's plunged his sword into the turf. It's a great nod to tradition and history. They're all in a circle. They're all aligned. Scott Robertson turns to me and he says, hey, I've got some ideas for, for next year. I'm really looking forward to it. I mean, it's 30 minutes after the final whistle. You've just won a title. And this guy's mind is already thinking, next year, next season, what can we do differently? And I looked around at that point and, and was really delighted and, and privileged to have been invited into the changing room after the, after the final. Oli Yaga's sitting there injured. He's going to be back next season. Ben Fennell coming back yeah. from injury. Braden Enor just starting out in his career. Mitch Hunt's there. Jackie Stratton's sitting there. Seb Siatunga's there. Uh, the list I could go on. Ethan Blackadder, Quentin Strange, um, Will Jordan. Uh, do I need to continue? All of these guys having had no involvement in that title game and all sitting there having been through that uh, ritual after the game, having been in that circle on the field, having watched that team achieve what is achieved and been a part of it during the year, now the hunger's already burning. Oh, man. And they got to a point, I, I put a photo up on my Instagram actually of, yeah, there were chahoos after the game. The boys were enjoying a beer. It was a lot of celebration with family and friends in that shed. The family and friends all left. They said, 10 minutes, boys. They all had a shower. They all got on their number ones. And they sat there, and the leaders of the team spoke. And you could have heard a pin drop. And the place had gone from absolute celebration to absolute respect within 15 minutes. And that, to me, said everything you need to know about that team. Mm -hmm. It's belief in its history and its dedication to its future. Yeah. And those two things, man, they, they are so much more important than titles. And in fact, without them, you don't win titles. And there was another thing that came up, Mills, and, and you would know this. The Chiefs run under Dave Rennie, I, and Wayne Smith in particular, I think you could safely say that they looked at the Crusaders and the success they had and the culture they had built. And I think a lot of the drive for that team to become much more... Uh, self-sustainable and much more focused inwardly on their own this culture, the Chiefs, the yeah, Chiefs yeah. Was, an, was an answer almost to what the Crusaders yeah. were doing, was inspired by what the Crusaders were yeah. doing. And I remember talking to one of the Chiefs involved over those two titles and he said, you know, Wayne Smith used to talk all the time about how much he loved the Crusaders and we all wanted to make sure that the Chiefs were going to be the team he was going to love just as much. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was aspirational. And that created, I think up until then, there was always a rivalry between the Chiefs and the Crusaders. But over those first two years of Dave Rennie and Wayne Smith in particular, that was out-and-out out hatred. Yeah. They wanted to smash the Crusaders every time. And, and I, they got it right, I think. They used that as a catalyst for performance and for enhancing their own team. Yeah, yeah, and it, all, it changed the rivalry, wasn't it? Because traditionally it was the Crusaders or Auckland and... Um, in the Blues, you know, mm -hmm, or um, mm -hmm. or Canterbury, and 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 so, man, the Chiefs actually went and changed it. They lost a little bit of momentum in terms of that. Um, but you have to say, Zuma, I mean, I've been privileged to be able to get, be able to go to those games, the finals, and that. And mm -hmm. I'm you, I'm it's coming from as a player, as a former player, that's growing up in an environment where you just hate, love to hate Canterbury and Crusader rugby. Mm -hmm. But these last sort of um, three to four weeks that I've been down there. And seeing how the the run, seeing how the the um the guys react, it's it's actually oh at first, it took a lot. It's taken a lot. I'll tell you that. <laughs> That's to fair. Actually, to That's actually fair enough. Myself go and go. That's oh, fair actually, enough. but as the weeks progressed, <laughs> I I actually it wasn't just jumping on the bandwagon. I'm kind of thinking far out. And then there's mm. nothing about these people. 
not only the players, but even... Uh, they won to... you over. They charmed you. Oh, mate. They charmed you. We, they wouldn't have been invited <laughs> into the marketing room to watch the game while you wait until we go back on at halftime. The right. people involved in there, the, the security, the guys that are there to, to have a yarn to you, not, not gloating on about how good their team is. They traditionally just they just want to have a yarn. Mm. And so by the time players, players that I haven't even met before were sort of were spoken to... Um, all I've sort of known them as is, is, is the players on the field, you know, that respect. But coming up and having a general conversation, the management, oh, they absolutely, well, they didn't need to win me over, but no, as I said, you know, it was. It, it took me a while and it was, you know, there was part of me saying, oh, I still don't like these guys, hey, mate, what am I doing? I felt like I was betraying them. So, you know? so cheap, so but, Man, that organisation down there, and I think what you mentioned before, the fact that there's so many, they don't, they don't say don't be yourself. But what are you going to bring to the team? And, you know, these other things. White Crockett, you could have easily gone overseas. Bryn Hall, you know, coming down and, and then other, there's other guys that have taken lesser money because you have to, man, when you've got guys like that. To, to, but they don't I, they want to stay there. I'm glad you they brought up Bryn Hall. Here's Bryn Hall, right? Here's a guy who can't get a contract in his own home, goes down there on a, on a cheap deal, man. Bryn Hall, when he first went down to the Crusaders, as far as I understand, that was... That was a low money deal. Look at him now. He would have to be, I think, over the last two years of Super Rugby, the single most improved player in the game, full stop. Yeah. Full stop. Yeah. And yes, the Blues wanted him back, and he wanted to stay. He knows that he is getting all the detail he needs in that environment, and he's being fulfilled in that environment. Now, last year it was a it was a weekly proposition, wasn't it, between him and Mitch Drummond? Uh, this year he he obviously pretty much became the starting mm. nine for that team, mm. uh, and you and you can see that continuing. And Mitch Drummond is no slouch. <laughs> Man, she he can make an impact in a game of footy. But for Bryn Hall to go down there to take a punt and for them to take a punt on him, you know that that's what it's all about. And yeah, he is he is going to leave that franchise at some stage a much better player. Oh. Than when he arrived. Oh, and, and you can see in the way he sort of played. I mean, last year you could have easily said, okay, he just had that first year. He's in their new environment, things like that. Mm-hmm. But he's taken his game to another level. Um, he, he got subbed off early in, in the final, but man, it's, it's not bad when you can. Uh, hey, we can bring in a quality half tank. Yeah, Jeepers. well, they'd run at him all day. I wasn't surprised that he was uh, he was a bit gassed on it. You know, that, which brings us really on the short ball today to, uh, I guess, a look at what do we expect next year. As I said, I mean, the Crusaders are already well and truly into their planning. Mm. But if you look around the franchises and, and we sum up their seasons, where does everyone sit right now from a New Zealand point of view? The Hurricanes will be scratching their heads about how that season finished. Yeah. Uh, and I think there was it, it was a tough time in that franchise. Boydie was leaving, Chris Boyd that is, after a long time. Um, so I think there's a natural imbalance yeah. within the management group when one person's moving on and everyone knows it and the guy who's still there who's technically his assistant is now going to be head coach I think they will be much better for having yep. the coach in place yep. right yep. from day dot next year yep. and the Hurricanes are a good team they'll, they'll miss guys like Brad Shields but they'll hopefully welcome back a Dane Coles which mm. replaces that leadership I mean, do you, are the Hurricanes still that team for you that you look at and say you know they're going to be in the mix next year Oh, absolutely. I mean, you can't go ten and ten straight wins in a row sure, without sure. thinking you're not, you know, in, in contention. They do. And when you you talk about that coaching thing, you know, it could end up. This might be the smallest little thing. You know, when you talk about player selections, and you know, this is not 
obviously the case that could happen. You know, you could have an example where one they wanted someone like a Fafita to play six, and someone and one of the other coaches perhaps thinking, oh, thing. I mean, that sort of just creates you know um, a little bit of I suppose doubt in, in in that environment. But I think the Hurricanes next year, you know, quality team. They've got some great players. Yeah, they'll be kicking themselves. Um, they'll probably debrief and think, well, where did it sort of start to go wrong? Mm. Um, they didn't start very well. The middle, the middle bit was was awesome, and we were talking you like though that could possibly go on and um, and win the and win the title in this middle mm. um, part, but they fell off um, a little bit. But they'll be there. I mean, man, they they will be, they'll be there or thereabouts next year. They'll um, they'll reflect and, and come back stronger. Go down south and look at the Highlanders. First year for Aaron Major in charge of the franchise. I think they did well. I think they they possibly could have done better, but. Would you give it a pass, Mark? First year in charge of, of that Highlanders team, the way they played the game and, and and what they were able to deliver in terms of results? Yeah, I'd give it a pass, Mark. You know, I think um, you know, new coach, um, a couple of new coaches because uh, Delaney went down there as well. Um, definitely, I think they'll probably look at this. Well, when you look at their season, I mean, they they love defence, you know, and so they they perhaps ran out of gas. They definitely ran out of gas. Yeah. Um, a little bit so perhaps you know and as is, is a smart man he'll he'll go away and, and think about it but I'd definitely give it a, a pass mark and particularly for guys like uh, Hemapore and co you know the way they've come out Coltman's had a, a great year as well mm. I mean the, the Thompson um, and, and Warden and you know and so they'll build on those guys uh, I don't think they haven't lost uh too much, but you know, I think they'll probably reflect on the fact that they they ran out of a little bit of gas, and that was yep. a reflection of the way they played hard, physical, and we just tackle the crap out of everyone. Yeah, and that they've sort of been that way for a long time. I, I just wonder if they just need to strike a different kind of balance in there. And I'm sure Aaron's thinking about that. As you said, he's a smart coach and a smart man, and first year out of the way, he'll be better for that. Yeah, and I just wonder, like you know, the, the, they love the tag of um, journeyman and, and hard um, bastards, you know, and and that was probably. In, reflected the way they played perhaps they sort of pull back and say well yes there is that element but we've got to be a little bit you know add a little bit of smarts as well and um and and, and um and save a little bit in the tank and uh, i mean that couple of games into the season they were tactically they're fantastic you know off the set piece the mm. way they set up certain things so they, yep. they definitely got that element to their game they just probably need to um mix it up a little bit and no lima sapawanga so oh, I mean, yes. that's a it's oh, a massive yeah, hold to fill for them i mean fletcher smith's coming on of course and <clears throat> joshuani as well but yeah, Gatlin's gone down too. And Bryn's there. Yep. I mean, is this going to be the year we see the best out of Bryn Gatland? We we haven't been able to see the Blues. The Blues lost confidence in him and, and wanted to put Petal Fetter in at 10. Um, you know, he's got a chance here, isn't he, Bryn Gatland, of saying, hey, don't forget about me. I'm still in the mix. Oh, yes, he's, he's got a, a great chance too. I mean, um, that, that first game of the year down the Blues – um, Highlanders and he just controlled the game really well mm. uh, he got his forwards in the right position scored a couple of uh, good tries kicked all his goals I mean and, and then as the season progressed they, st- they start I think uh, we haven't moved on to the Blues yet I think that game there for me for the Blues you know if they had won it you know they, they had a lot in there that they could have won perhaps you know they, they, they would have pushed on a bit again a little bit of confidence and perhaps left um, you know Bryn there for a bit longer because the way he controlled the game um, was fantastic. Unfortunately, you know, um, it, for him and the Blues, it wasn't very successful. But he's got an opportunity now to go down to the Highland Highlanders and um and, and, and earn a spot in that team. Jumper, right? Let's talk about the Blues. I'm fascinated about this. Mm. Tom Commentary coming into the team, uh, who's been a head coach. Leon McDonald coming into the team, who's been a head coach. Both of those coaches on two-year deals. The current head coach, Tana Umanga, on a one-year deal. 
this dynamic is going to fascinate me. Uh, I think, from all accounts, Tana started to take everything on board himself, took a lot of responsibility, uh, instead of maybe dishing that out to the likes of Steve Jackson and, and Al Rogers, you know, as the pressure went on, he became much more insular. He is not going to get that opportunity with Leon McDonald and Tom Coventry. They are going to come in and expect to be making some big decisions and expect to be on the grass doing their jobs. Yeah, and I think that's a good thing. I, I think it's, it'll, be a, it'll be a great way for T to be able to sit back and, sit and, and have real trust in the fact that Leon, uh, well, Leon and, um, and Tom have both been head coaches. They know what the pressure's like. And that might perhaps give T the, the, the opportunity to say, well, okay, look, I can give them all this the, this portfolio and this portfolio and, and sit back and just, just, just relax a little bit. Now, I'm not saying he, he didn't fully trust his, his management. Um, maybe when the, you know, when the heat came on and they, they were losing those games, you know, as a head coach, and it's probably natural, natural that you want to make sure, okay, I, I better, you know, you know, get a hold of things and things like that. With these two guys, um, you know, Tom, they go both great coaches. TC's um, loves the way his forwards goes. He's, he's innovative in the way they, they do things at the breakdown. Mm. Leon, we've seen how successful he's been down in um, Crusaders and, and also with, with Tasman. So I think they've got a good good balance there. I, mm. I understand they're trying to get someone else for a skills coach um, in Helen Gahu, I, I, I think. But um, I, I, I actually, I know we said it this year, but I think they're they're in good stead. I think they'll they'll be right next year. I'm looking forward. I'm looking forward. I'm not going to come out early. I'm looking forward to a great blue season next year. They've got the athletes. Yeah, you know, can we all agree that the, you know, the the cookie dough is there? Oh yeah. These guys have just got to be baked, and um, <laughs> so to speak. Look, the the thing is for me is that as that season went on, it became very clear that the guys weren't getting detail for whatever reason that was. Whether uh, things had had just gone pear-shaped in terms of the coaching responsibilities. I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, Al Rogers, you know, decided that he would leave the club. Steve Jackson's contract wasn't renewed. Dave Ellis's contract wasn't renewed. Tana's was. He's got two new coaches. The entire strength and conditioning team is gone. Has it? There's been a massive upheaval there. And, you know, I know that the organisation needs some broad strokes, really, to get it back on track. But, you know, by the same token, that, that change has now got to be put in place and very quickly yeah. with this team. And we all hope the Blues come through. I think, you know, from, oh, yeah. a, from a point of view of the game and the importance of the region, and we've spoken about this at length, you've got to come through. But, you know, whatever, whatever these guys thought about the last couple of seasons, uh, if you're in the Blues forward pack next year, you better grit your teeth and close your eyes because Tom Coventry is not going to screw around. He ain't mucking around, mate. Uh-uh. He ain't going to muck around. And, uh-uh. and that's what I, I think it could be possibly... Uh, the antidote they need because you're right when we looked at the middle part of the season and a lot of they just didn't get the detail even the, as, as simple as stuff off the line they were getting some really good line out um, pill but the lines and some of the timing was just mm. so far out it, was, it, it wasn't <clears throat> funny and so well and also their contracting model is going to come under scrutiny oh you yes know, contracting yeah. the right yeah. kind of players and you look Leon McDonald and Tom Coventry in particular are going to want some say in that mm. and, and currently uh, the contracting for the team is run by Tony Hanks, and he's been in that role for a long time. But they are going to want to have more of a say in what kind of athletes are coming into that club. So that's going to be an interesting space to watch as well. What about the Chiefs, Millsy? Uh, Colin Cooper coming in, back into Super Rugby, taking that team. I think they missed a couple of crucial opportunities this yeah. year. I think they had they had the season there, 
And I know they had a lot of injuries, but so many teams go through injuries. The Crusaders were able to adapt and use their depth when it counted, ironically against the Chiefs and Crockett's 200th game uh, when they went real deep in the well for that one. I, I just wonder if some decisions weren't quite right this year for the Chiefs and whether those injuries to key All Blacks really did cost. Yeah, I mean, I think that decision not, not to play uh, McKenzie um, in that last round-robin game was crucial and I, and mm. I know you spoke about it mm. um, and I was a little bit, oh, you know, but I think that came back to bite them the following week, um, especially with the way McKenzie played. Um, and, and also, the, you know, away home advantage is huge. And when it comes to the quarterfinals, home, you know, I mean, you've seen it. The Hurricanes went down to the, to the Crusaders the following weekend. They were just different, a different team. Yeah. Um, but you know, and it hurts me to say this. It does. At the beginning of the season, I was thinking Chiefs. They'll probably be the most. The, the, they'll be at the bottom of the New Zealand Conference. You know, I wasn't expecting too much from them when they had. 13 injuries of the contracted players right. I was kind of like wow oh, yeah that gives me an excuse to actually you know but you know they showed how much Chiefs money they have you know to be able to bring out guys um, great stories too now Sean White um, he's got a contract next year this is a guy who this time last year was in the Crusaders outfit he wasn't going to be re-signed unsure of what he was going to do got an opportunity and didn't he take it with both hands and I'm not too sure what uh, Angus Tauval was doing but him as well, played lots of, um, um, got lots of minutes. And so I look at that aspect, there's still a lot of hu- hunger and mana in, in, mana in that um, Chiefs organisation. They did miss a few things, which perhaps, um, you know, could have, might have pushed them on and um, in, in the later stages of the finals. But I think you, this is, I think you've got to take your hat off to the way, um, you know, they, they performed this year given the injury toll they had. All right, Millsy, a uh, couple of final questions for you. One, um, we talk about players of the year across the competition. Mm-hmm. If there is one player for you who stood above all others, who would it be? Oh, it's it's hard not to go past Richie Moore. Would, would you agree with that? Or uh, it's just the way, you know, you're, when you're, when you're he had another injury earlier on in the season. Last year, he broke his hand. This year, his jaw. He comes back. Um, the way he played, and particularly in the finals, and when you're under the pump and certain things. And one moment that that sort of stood out for me was against um, the Canes, where he just scored a try. Um, you know, you, you obviously pumped. They come, you know, come back to um, the kickoff. They take it. Bryn gives him a nice, perfect pass. He drops it clean, cold, and that led to uh, a Hurricanes. Uh, try mm. a lot of people would fold after that thinking damn but he just you know took by well, the scruff of the you know, he just bloody took everything um, on, on his own and man did he play fantastic the following week again so for me uh, Moonga for me was 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 probably amongst a lot of others I'd, I'd like to mention but I, I know you'd just take the, the piss out of me but uh, Moonga was for me the player of the season that's fair enough mine's the same team but it's Matt Todd Oh, yes. E.G. And, and I'll tell you why. He is the most underrated open side flanker in the world. Yeah. In the world, full stop. His game in the final was incredible. And I know Richie was great. Don't get me wrong. And, and, and deserved his man of the match medal because the things he does yeah. are great. And, you know, we all see uh, Richie's tricks and he's got plenty of them up his sleeve. Matt Todd is dead set the glue that holds that team together. And 30 tackles on the night. 
I mean, he's a freak. He is a dead set freak. And and to me, he is a guy who probably sums up the Crusaders uh, more than anyone else. Yeah. He turns up to work. He does his job. He gets booty called occasionally by the All Blacks when they're <laughs> desperate. And he goes back to work the next week. And, you know, to me, he's, he's a dead set champion, Matt Todd. And, and he very rarely gets the press he deserves. But, but he would be my player of the year. Yeah. One, there was a moment in that final, that, that Mitchell Drummond try. I think Ala Alatour went behind the back door, which then led to Rich Moonga like pushing a pass, and it, and it pushed Matt Todd out. So he was on a little bit of an angle. Mm. And usually, as as a player, you'd it, well, you'd go with it and and hope to try and get outside. He was so it was a real smart move. He just straightened up a little bit, came back, and because I can't remember who the defender was, because he thought the exact same thing that he was going to actually drift. With Todd just doing that, it just gave him that little bit of a, um, a weak shoulder to hit. He gave a little wee offload, and man, they're away. And those are the things that he does really well, mm. the, the ability to know uh, what to do in, in certain moments. And you're right, he's he's underrated, uh, really underrated. I'm not actually surprised how actually tall he is. There's a lot of talk Oh, he's about, a big unit. He's got a rig on him. And he's, he's solid. About, yeah, there's no doubt about um, that. He is. He's got a bit of height on there, so use him in the lineouts. That's it. And to wrap up the short ball today and the Super Rugby season, uh, we'll finish where we started today with the Crusaders after the final. You know, And I talked about being in that dressing room and watching them respect their leaders. Now, Matt Todd stood up in front of those boys, uh, was awarded the team's own uh, title for... Man of the match performance. Wow. And he stood there, and when he spoke, not a single person said a word. And he finished up, and he said to the boys, let's go and enjoy tonight, and no one screw up. Really nice. And they walked out of the door, and that was the season done. Wow. Incredible. Good on the Crusaders. That's Super Rugby done for the year. On the short ball today, it's been Scotty and Mills, and uh, we'll be here next week with a look ahead to... The Mitre 10 Cup. Oh, yeah. The Mitre 10 Cup. Millsy, it's back. Mitre 10, the Farrah Palmer Cup too, mate. Don't oh, hear the that? the Farrah Palmer. Can't wait. Yep. Yeah.